0: Welcome everyone to episode four of Resisting the Dragon's Beast. I am Pastor Michael Zarling. I am the author of the book. And then we have Pastor Peter Hagen, who is the editor and the smart one on the podcast. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about chapter two of the book on Revelation 13. So chapter one spoke about... uh, Romans 13, as we are to submit to the governing authorities because they are God's servant, now we see in Revelation 13 that the government can also serve as Satan's servant. And we're going to be talking about that. So I just want to read the introduction to chapter 2. In The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog. Smog is a large and dangerous dragon who conquers the dwarf kingdom of Erebor. He then takes a the lonely mountain and its vast treasures for himself. 150 years later, a company of 13 dwarves led by Thorin Oakenshield, set out to take their home back from the dragon. The dwarves are aided in their quest by the hobbit Bilbo Baggins and the wizard Gandalf the Grey. Bilbo and the dwarves tried to slay the dragon. Smog is smothered with a deluge of molten gold. He rises out of the gold and flies toward Lake Town to rain down destruction on the village. In mid-flight, Smaug calls out revenge. Revenge, I will show you revenge. I am fire and I am death. So, Peter, have you read The Hobbit?
1: I have. Uh, the first time was, oh boy, about 25 years ago. <laughs> and uh, I think I've read it once since then. It's a fantastic book if you haven't.
0: Right. Yeah, I've I've read it a long time ago, and then I reread it because I'm, I'm now counting listening to the book while I'm biking as reading. And so I listened to it as well. Uh, so have you seen the movie, The Hobbit? I have not. I have okay. not. So I put in the footnotes here, The Hobbit was a great book, exclamation point, the three Hobbit movies, not so much. <laughs> uh because peter jackson did a fantastic job with the lord of the rings trilogy but then he tried to and i'm sure it was the studios that made him do this he turned the hobbit which is one book into three movies and just dragged everything out so i i bring this all up and bring up uh the dragon smog, because I want to get to the dragon of the devil in revelation chapter 12. So Peter, if you want to explain, maybe read revelation 12 to our listeners, and then we can talk about what is Jesus in his vision in chapter 12 to St. John, as he's recording this by the Holy spirit, what is he seeing? And what is the symbolism here?
1: All right. So revelation 12, um, I just grabbed the nearest Bible here at my desk, and it's an NIV, uh, one of the older ones, but reads like this. A great and wondrous sign appeared in the heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert, where she would be taken care of for time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and to sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. All right. Book of Revelation. Um, You think about this and you have in mind written by John, the apostle John, who also wrote the gospels and First, second, third John um, written while he was in exile at Patmos, um, probably working in the salt mines there and written right around the year 90, give or take. Um, and the whole book of Revelation is this vision that John records, um, a vision especially for the churches that he had served previously near Ephesus, um, but also a vision for God's church today. And uh, and so in this vision, what we're looking for is, is pictures that, that give an overall impression um, and we'll, we can work from the solid details that we get to fill out the rest of the picture. That's the really cool thing about this, about this chapter. There are, there are three specific verses, three places where we have um, an identification of what's going on. So we don't have to sit and wonder, you know, how should I figure this out? Okay. Um, the first one is that we come across is verse five. Um, that we hear this woman gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And so the first thing that we hear is that he rules all nations with an iron scepter. Um, obviously, we're, we're talking about Jesus here. And if you're looking at verse five, that encompasses basically Christmas through ascension. All of Jesus' earthly ministry um, from the time that he is you know, incarnated, nine months before Christmas, um, all the way through his ascension, that he was snatched up to God and to his throne the so that's verse five um i guess it would be helpful if you do have a bible nearby to follow along from revelation 12 um looking ahead from verse five you look down at verse nine that is the second identifying note that we have here the great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or satan who leads the whole world astray he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him Um, So we have two main characters here. The the last question is the identity of this woman and the rest of her children. And we get that at the end of the book. Um, Talking about verse 17, the last verse of chapter 12, that the dragon was enraged at the woman. And so Satan is enraged at the woman. Um, That gives us a clue. Who is it that Satan is angry with? He is angry with God's church. Um, You know, you think of like Ephesians 5, that the church is pictured as the bride of Christ. Um, Or some of the parables that Jesus has, like the parable of the 10 virgins, or the parable of the wedding banquet. Or John 13, um, when Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. What he's using in all of those is the imagery of marriage, that he is the bridegroom, and um, his church, his believers are his bride. And uh, John 13, um, that would be you know, a little bit longer discussion. Um, I think I have a sermon on that on our podcast. We um, have to scroll back a little ways. Anyway, so we've got the dragon, we've got the child, we've got the woman talking about talking about God's church and the rest of her offspring. Um, and John identifies those for us, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So that gives us the people And the overall picture, and the thing with um, Revelation is is that it's kind of like when you go to an art museum um, or you see a piece of art, that the first thing you do is you stand back and you get the the impression, like what is the artist trying to convey? What kind of feeling um, is he trying to elicit? What is being highlighted, you know, bright, brightly front and center, or what is in the background? And so the overall image that we have of of Revelation chapter twelve that was kind of like the uh, episode one the episode, sorry episode four the uh, the the Jedi mind trick the image <laughs> that we have that <laughs> just comes up every now and then you know um, is is that there's this huge battle and this and in the process of this the of this battle the the dragon. Uh, falls out of heaven and sweeps a third of the stars. And then he chases this woman and then he wages war against the woman's offspring. Um, that's the overall arc of the story here in, in chapter 12. Right. Um, yeah. And so yeah, and, I, I guess the rest of it, I'll leave up to you here.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, just to summarize everything. So you've got this huge red seven headed dragon with 10 horns And then the crowns, and then he is chasing down the woman of the church, and then she gives birth to the child who is Jesus. Jesus ascends into heaven. So then the dragon, which has been hurled down to earth, is now going after the church that goes out into the wilderness for safety, and the wilderness is the world. Satan can't get at the church. He can't destroy the church. And so he's going to go after the church's children. and that's going to be us as Christians. And that, so this is <clears> that a picture of the persecution that Christ's people has felt throughout the history of the world. And we're going to see this, especially then, uh, with the two beasts that are going to be complicit in working with the drag and the devil in going after us as God's children. So, anything you want to add to that?
1: Um, the the final detail that sometimes people wonder about is the time, times, and half a times, uh, or half a time, and the one thousand two hundred sixty days. Um, if you think of it as the entire time that God interacts with the world is the period of seven years. Um, and so three and a half, cut that in half before Christ is three and a half, after Christ is three and a half. Um, and so this time, times and half a times, if you think times, one times is more than one, so two. And then half a the time, you add it up, you get three and a half. And 1,260 days is three and a half years so when we're talking we can use those terms interchangeably um to refer to the entire new testament era from the time of the ascension of jesus when the child is snatched up to heaven until the time of his return
0: very good and so uh picking it up then on page 30 of the book here we're going to look at just the one beast there's two beasts that are going to be coming out of first the sea and then the earth uh And they're going to be joining with Satan, the great red dragon on the battlefield of this earth. So there, John records, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. He had 10 horns with 10 crowns on his horns and seven heads with blasphemous names on his heads. The beast that I saw was like a leopard and his feet were like those of a bear. And his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne and great authority. One of his heads seemed to have been fatally wounded, but his fatal wound was healed. And the whole world that followed the beast was amazed. They worshipped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. They worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and and who can go to war against him? The beast was also given a mouth that spoke arrogant and blasphemous things. He was given authority to do these things for 42 months. The beast opened his mouth to to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name, his dwelling, and those who dwell in heaven. He was also given permission to wage war against the saints and overcome them, as well as authority over every tribe and people and language and nation. All those who make their home on the earth will worship the beast. Those whose names have not been written from the beginning of the world in the book of life, which belongs to the lamb that was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be imprisoned, he is going to be imprisoned. If anyone is going to be killed with a sword, he is going to be killed with a sword. Here, patient endurance and confidence are needed by the saints. So here, what, you know, I'm sure, Peter, you have encountered this like I have, that people are afraid of the book of Revelation. And they said they don't understand it. But really, if you read the rest of the bible and you can start to begin to understand a lot of the old testament imagery you can begin to understand the book of revelation and this idea of this beast that comes out of the sea is very similar to the the four beasts in daniel chapter seven those four beasts represent babylon persia greece and rome and so now here this beast though that is an ally working with the dragon is representative of all the governments of the world that persecute Christians, not just, it's not just a government, but a government that comes after God's people. Those are the, those who are the children of the woman, the citizens of the church from revelation 12.
1: Yeah. And that, that we're not just, I mean, we are talking about government in abstract, but also um, worldly power, worldly authority, um, and you think of like the disarray when there's been a coup, or you know the dictator has been overthrown. Um, whoever is kind of running, <laughs> taking, managing that area for a while um, will, you know, can also be under the influence of the devil to carry out the bidding of of the beast.
0: Right. And this, if you want to touch on who the second beast is, we won't read that section. You can read it on your own. So this beast is the one that comes out of the earth.
1: Yeah, when, they, when we talk about the beast out of the sea and then the beast out of the earth, um, here in Revelation 13, we're looking at um, you know, two primary you know, powers. So the first one, the beast out of the sea, um, we talked about worldly government, worldly power and authority. Um, the beasts of the earth, you look at this and, you know, verse um, verse 11 and 12, 11, 12, 13, I suppose. Um, I saw another beast. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. So he looks like a lamb, talks like a dragon. And you can recognize that he's a dragon based on what he says, not the way he looks. Uh, verse 12. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf, so he exercises some secular, worldly, um, governmental type authority, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed, and then he performed great miraculous signs. Um, and so, when we talk about this beast out of the earth, what we we're talking about, you know, the term that we use is the apostate church, um, which is those who who look. Who look like Christians on the outside who maybe have a very very widespread organization um, or they, they look very Christian. They have all the Christian terms on their church. Um, but by their teaching, by, by the fruit of and by the fruit of that teaching you will recognize that they are not a correctly teaching church. They are not an Orthodox church. Um, And so the best example of this would be the Roman Catholic Church, which, you know, since 1564 has condemned um, justification by grace through faith. That's basically, they said at the Council of Trent that if you believe that your sin is forgiven simply by God's grace, which is received through faith, faith, then you are eternally condemned. Um, And that is their official doctrine, no matter how, you know, no matter who is sitting in the papal throne. Um, That's probably the most prominent example, um, especially over time when you think about, you know, the Holy Roman Empire of 500 years ago. It's definitely the most prominent example, but it isn't necessarily limited to um, the Roman Church and the papacy.
0: Right. And then in that verse you read about the beast out of the earth, its job is to get the people of the earth to worship the beast out of the sea. And, you know, we can talk about this here in context with what we discussed in episode two with Romans 13 of submission that we said, submit does not mean obey because obey really when you carry it out, what do we, what do we do with God? Well, we serve worship and obey our God. And if there is no way to, uh, resist a government and it's only pure obedience what i'm proposing and that's worship and that's what the beast out of the out of the earth wants us to do for the beast out of the sea if there's no way that we can ever question doubt debate resist a government and it's only pure obedience whether we want to or not that's worship and that's what the devil wants us to do
1: Definitely. And that's um, on the external side, as we basically, as we act as citizens, um, you know, to draw a little bit of a false line here. Um, if we think of our, as we carry out our work in in the world, um, that the beast out of the earth wants us to completely worship the beast out of the sea, which is to say the apostate church wants, to, wants us to devote our hearts and all of our, you know, unthinking obedience to to the governing authorities. Um, also, the flip side to that is that, you know, worshipping the, the beast out of the sea is basically looking for these external um, tools and applying them within the church to say, you know, that the solution – um, for for having a good church, having a strong church, having a successful church, is just to have more rules and more laws, and just give me a policy so I don't have to think this through. Um, and there's there's a little bit of a give and take there between in between the external exercise of authority um, in government, and also the encroaching of of a focus on law and rules uh, within God's church, because it distracts us from the reality of who you are in Christ, that you've been baptized and raised with Jesus.
0: Yeah. And so this beast out of the sea, well, let's, let's describe what it looks like first uh, that it's, it's got uh bear claws and a leopard's body and lion's heads. And then our, my artist, Laura Kepsel, I thought she did a fantastic job with the artwork uh, that uh, what she did is it, she had created uh, just taken some pictures of leopard bodies and bear claws and then lion's mouths, and then just superimposed them until we were trying to figure out what would this thing look like? And what I loved you know, something I'd never seen in any artwork before. She has the beast coming out at the reader uh, instead of just a side view. She has it coming out at the reader, and then we had to put on the the horns. And I said, I have never seen in any of the artwork I've seen with this beast out of the sea that had ram's horns. And ram's horns always picture, well, horns in general picture strength, but especially ram's horns. And so she put ram's horns on that uh, main lion's head that's looking right at the reader. And then it says in the scripture in Revelation 13 that it has a, a wound. And really it says in the Greek that it was like dead. And so she painted a kind of like scar from the Lion King. And so it, it looks like on the left side of the face that, you know, he's got a piece of his body that was dead and is alive again. So that's that's that beast out of the sea.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I really like the, the imagery there. And I, I have seen the Lion King. Okay. Um and and just pulling that out, like you look at this book and and at first, you know, when I first saw this image, I thought, well, you know, that's strange because the 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 hero in the background there seems so small and so far away. But you know, f- sitting with it a little bit and like, oh yeah, here, here, right here is this beast that is looking at me. Like if you've ever been face to face with a big cat like that, terrifying. Yeah. Um, and the return of Jesus is still still off in the future, even though we are members of his kingdom, and even though he does restrain um, evil within this world. And uh, so I, it, is, it is kind of a unique take, but I really like that too.
0: Yeah, and I've talked about this in different episodes as I've gone through uh, with my publisher of the book. But just to touch on it too, since you mentioned the hero is Jesus in the back. So he's pictured in Revelation 10 as an angel that can he's the only one that can open up the scrolls and so he has his scroll in his right hand that he is the one that can open the scrolls but he's also pictured in revelation 10 as having his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and and i just point this out i know all of you are smart enough to figure this out that revelation 10 is before Revelation 12 and 13. But why that's important is Jesus is already pictured as standing on the land and sea, he's in control. Two and then three chapters before we talk about the dragon or the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth, Jesus is pictured as in control. And then uh, is also pictured as having a rainbow over his head and so the rainbow is there on the book cover, and then uh, she painted the Christian church to look like a mighty fortress as our God. And then uh, you kind of have to look at it because the the title kind of covered it up. There's an Alpha and Omega and a cross on the tower. That was my fault. I didn't I didn't do enough uh, to move the lettering just a little bit to cover up to uncover that. But the key is this dragon that's this dragon's beast that's coming at the reader is a pet it's a pet that's following around its master of the dragon and it's it's even designed to look a lot like the dragon with the seven heads and and the crowns and the horns and then like we said this is that persecuting church Uh, and as you said peter it's one job is to work at persecuting Christians. It is to abolish what God has called good and to oppose God's will. Yep,
1: pretty straightforward. And and once you start to piece together the the details um, and you see how does this image work? You know, we've gotten the big overall image picture. You stand back and then you look at the details a little bit closer. Um, And after you think about this, then, and you understand the image, then you look at, you know, step back again. Now, um, if you basically substitute those terms and those characters for the, uh, for the name of the beast, you know, like, instead of the beast out of the sea, um, in chapter 13, verse, verse five, you read, you know, the, the worldly authorities were given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and exercise their authority for three and a half years. Um, and then you, you get into basically the application of this image that it's not just an image, um, but it's an image that yes, it terrifies us, um, with Jesus in the background and the overall arc of revelation, it comforts us. Um, but also revelation 13 was written for instruction for us. And once you understand who these people are, then you can get into the application.
0: Right. And then the application is on pages 32 and 33 as you see from psalm 2 verse 2 that there's a lot of war between different nations and governments and yet they are united on one thing and that's this the psalmist says the kings of the earth take a stand and the rulers join together against the lord and against his anointed one and so there i propose that god's People must stand up against the rulers because they're standing up against the Anointed One, and the Anointed One is Jesus Christ. He anoints us and baptism, and so that means the governments of the earth are opposing Christ, the Anointed One, and Christ's Anointed Ones, us, and they're opposing us. So we need to stand up to them, and then you see these kings that are opposing the Anointed One throughout the Old Testament. There's plenty of examples of like King Nebuchadnezzar, Pharaoh, and so forth. Uh, you've got uh, Jeroboam, you know, uh, <laughs> just kind of looking through all, all these different Ahab and so forth in the Old Testament. And then it, it just se- it just fit that I said it seems like the devil enjoyed using the line of King Herod to persecute God's kingdom because you had... King Herod trying to wipe out the life of the newborn king. King Herod Antibus, uh beheading John the Baptist. Herod Agrippa I had James put to death with a sword. So there we see these governments, both in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, and then throughout history that have persecuted Christians. And I saw on social media this week, uh, someone I'm friends with had commented that there was a drag queen parade or get together reading and so forth in a very conservative town here in Wisconsin. That was going on and it was supported in the park. And yet the police arrested teenagers that, were, that had their Bluetooth and their speakers that were promoting Bible verses. So you've got degeneracy and opposition to God's sixth commandment that celebrated and promoted. And then when God's people, and these were young people that were uh, opposing that just by simply uh, playing Bible verses on their speaker, those were the ones that were arrested. That's the government persecuting Christians.
1: Yeah. And but- in, I mean that would be kind of interesting to um, you know pull, tease out all the rest of the details on something like that too, um, but there's also even the the broader broader concept that the government, um, like in Romans 13, has a responsibility to God to um, to submit to Him and to follow His moral law as as their basic law, and uh, and what kind of comes in comes into mind there is um, this concept of of what we would call democide. And that basically in the 20th century, um, democide is, is the, the murder of any person or people by a government that includes genocide, politicide, and, and mass murder. And, um, and over the course of the, the 20th century, more, more people were killed by their government, um, not including any of the wars, not including World War One, World War II, Vietnam, Korea, any of those um i'd have to double check if you just google democide d-e-m-o-c-i-d-e um you it'll be the first thing it's from the university of hawaii and the in the 20th century governments killed i think it was like approximately 190 million of their own citizens um whether through genocide you know an active extermination um, effort or through um if you um, camouflage that a little bit more by saying well we wanted to have this um, this farming program, like in in Red China under Mao. Um, we wanted to have this program, and the program failed miserably, and everybody starved as a side effect. Um, or you think about Joseph Stalin trying to starve out the uh, the Ukrainians um, in the in the fifties. Um, and so, in that respect, you know, we're talking about the government and worldly powers pursuing God's church, um, and. And in their pursuit of God's church, doing the bidding of the dragon, um, they are not submitting to the moral law and to the God who has given them that authority.
0: That reminds me of a political thriller I I read several years ago. And I think the author was taking uh, something from COVID and then applying it to his hero and to America. And what, what it was saying was that Enemy uh, terrorists had uh, supposedly infected people in some really big cities like Austin, uh, in Texas, and, Ala- and Atlanta, and so forth. And then it was supposed to be this outbreak, and then it couldn't stop. And so the president was being uh, encouraged to d- drop nuclear weapons on her own cities of austin and atlanta and so forth to wipe out people uh our own people and then the the u.s army and the national guard were being used to keep people in those cities and other people out of those cities now uh what what i i just bring that up because uh he ended up not going through with it obviously uh both in reality and in the book but the key is if we can only submit, meaning only obey the government and not question the government when it's proposing something like that, well, then we should just let the president and his cabinet do that. Whether it be the right thing or wrong thing, that's thing we I think we should be debating. You know, do you protect all the people in the nation from a from an outbreak far serious more serious than COVID? Uh, do you do that? And then wipe out millions of people, or do you let it spread out? But the key is, if we can only submit, only obey, with never questioning, then the government should just be able to do whatever they want to do. And that's really the whole point of the book, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and and even um, even even though that I'm sure that made for a fantastic thriller of a book, but you could look at um, the Tulsa race riots of about a hundred years ago. I think it was like 1921. Um, where there was basically what ended up happening was that um, the U.S. US government, um, the local police, um, bombed an area and set parts of Tulsa on fire um, to, because, because they didn't like the people who were living there exercising their First Amendment right to protest. Um, and they they worked with the protesters to kind of spur it on, and then they could label it a riot, um, and then they and then they brought in explosives and heavy artillery um, to be used against U- U.S. citizens, um, and that's the sort of like worldly power, secular power that that God has delegated to the government, but that they are supposed to use it properly. Now fine tune that with a magnifying glass, if you want, just a little bit more. That that power is then focused at the prompting of the devil, uh, focused against God's people, focused against the Christian church. And then you have this this tension and conundrum between submit to the government, um, but recognize that that government, as much, whether you like it or not, um, whether you voted for that guy or not, um, that government is going to do the bidding of Satan. And we need to have have our minds plugged in and our noses in scripture to to think about how do I submit to this um, without just mindlessly obeying to external authority.
0: Exactly. And so uh, the end of what we're going to be talking about today just on page 33, the subtitle of the authority of governments that Revelation 13 is really the opposite, opposite side of the coin of Revelation of Romans 13 which is where the government claims foresees the things that are gods and there i say that the government cannot become an autonomous authority because otherwise it becomes a god so when the lord is not god then people or the government they're going to fill that void and become gods unto themselves and that's why uh, in concluding this episode uh, i think it's so important for us to say that uh God has called the authorities and citizens to serve us. They are our servants. I think we have gotten that mixed up. I don't know when, Peter, we got that mixed up in our nation that we are the servants of the government. That's not what scripture says. They are God's servants to serve us. Just like husbands and leaders, you and I teach, husbands and wives, you and I teach this, that their leaders, you know, husbands are not boss leaders, they are servant leaders, and wives are not, that they are to be then the submissive, humble uh, servants as well, the, the servant helpers. But it's all about service. But the government is primarily designed to serve us, and we, I believe, have gotten that mixed up. And say we are to serve the government. We just have to do what they say. The opposite is true in America. They're our servants. They have to do what we say.
1: Mm-hmm. And and you can't separate that that confusion uh, switch between you know who's who is in charge, who is the servant, um, from the ba- very basic Christian concept is that you have everything in Christ and. And you've been given everything in Christ, and even your your place, your, your position in life is a gift from a gracious God. Um, that's got to be the starting point um, before you get to that first primary term for the Christian is servant. In my in my vocations, I am I am a servant. I serve the church by by working on their behalf. I serve my wife and my family by you know serving them within the home, um, as compared to the very human, and this is the very popular idea of. Power that the government that every relationship in this world and in our country is seen as a a power struggle, um, and that if one group or person or party has power, then that means they must have taken it from the other, um, which is a totally different totally different idea than the Christian idea of service because I've been given everything. This differential or this exchange of power says. I want the power because that power has been taken from me previously. Um, and if you understand that, that kind of matrix or that kind of, um, exchange that is behind a lot of our, you know, at least modern dialogue, um, in the government and in culture, and it's definitely crept into the church. Um, you know, you think of, you think of, Somebody who says, well, I, you know, pastor's in charge of the church um, or, you know, as if, as if this is simply a power struggle uh, when it's not, the pastor is here to serve the church exactly as Christ served the church. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. So I think our job as citizens of two nations of two kingdoms, like we talked about in the last episode, our role then is to uh, keep our. Citizens, or I mean, our governing authorities, humble uh, that we do that sometimes by questioning them, doubting them, debating them, even resisting them. That was that was a big thing. And I'm sure I'll bring it up in lots of these podcasts because I think that was the biggest takeaway for me in writing this book is that you and I, Peter, we will teach uh, the three uses of God's law to our catechism students, and that third use of the law as a guide, but the second use then is a curb. It keeps us from doing the things that we're not supposed to do. And you know. And I always use the example, say you're driving down the freeway, and it really doesn't know, matter what the speed is, although we're always speeding, is you see the police officer and we slow down. He's the curb just by seeing us. Well, they curb us. And what I learned in writing this book is we as Christian citizens are the curb to our governing authorities. okay? Mm-hmm. By questioning, doubting, debating, even resisting them, we are, Lord willing, drawing them away from being and acting as Satan's servant, opposing God's will, but instead serving God's will. And we're called to do that. But when we just resist, when we just sit back, and say, well, I'm not going to do anything and let the government do it. Well, then we're allowing the government to switch sides and go away from being and acting as God's servant and said, serving as Satan's servant.
1: Yeah, and I think together with that, um, we probably talk about it later in the book. Um But the idea of a conscience clause, and we'll we'll save this one for later in the book, um, for sure. But the idea of a conscience clause is it is not a good thing uh, for society or for the Christian. The idea of a conscience clause says, well, if it's against your conscience, then you don't have to do it. Um, And what it does in practice is it silences any opposition and it silences the Christian curbing um, that says, you know, this is morally wrong. And for a rational human reason, you know, life is life, whether it's um, nine months before birth or, you know, at somebody who's in a nursing home, um, that we as Christian citizens need to think about this thoroughly enough to say that I have a responsibility as a Christian in this world, and my responsibility is to speak up on Christian topics um, and I'm not going to let the the government in their, their, in, you know, our our governing authorities in their devious nature to just say, well, you go do you and we're going to do what we're going to do here um, through the conscience clause. Um, hopefully that didn't steal all of our thunder. I no. think they could say a whole lot more about that one. Well,
0: oh, I'm sure you could. And, and just to touch on that and, and wrap it up, I guess, is again, being a curb. So what's going on as we're recording this podcast is, uh, There are Senate hearings right now about transgenderism. And they've got a couple of the ladies that had been on the Penn swimming team along with uh, William Thomas, who now goes by Leah Thomas, and they're testifying before the Senate. And after one young lady who had the guts to testify, there was a senator that then said, well, I don't agree with what Penn State did what they should have done was to say you know a transgender individual can use the women's bathroom but they should have put up some kind of partition for those who didn't feel comfortable with someone who is transgender so basically what this guy was saying is they should put up a wall which is a bathroom and uh, i don't know i didn't pay attention to all the senate senate hearings but all you have to do then is call that guy out and say we had that. We've had that for centuries, and we had separate men's and women's bathrooms. And that's all we're saying here. You said the same thing, but I, I bring that up here because two things. We are the conscience, like you said. We, we need to be the conscience for those who have maybe lost their conscience in the government. We need to curb them. Uh, so we'll wrap it up here. And again, Uh, Peter and I, we are not speaking for either one of our churches. Uh, We're not speaking for our schools or church body or anything like that. We're just speaking off the cuff as two pastors who are very passionate on this. Uh, Just want to touch on an email. It's a longer email. I'll break it up into other segments. But for those of you who are listening to our podcast, feel free to uh, write to us. Uh, you can write to me at resisting the dragons at gmail.com. I've been receiving more and more emails. I received one this morning. If you want me to make sure that I read it and even read it on the air, you can do what this individual did. He's just said in the subject line, called it fan mail. I'm going to, I'm going to read that right away. Uh, but he says that, uh, that his wife is involved in Lutheran Women's Missionary Society, and she had listened to me speak at a recent rally. There I had spoken about our church, Water of Life, and our merger and multi-site, and she decided to buy her husband the book for a Father's Day gift, and he completed it, and then he wanted to write me the note. I'm not going to read that note at this time. I'm going to get permission from him to read it uh, to you, Uh, But it's very good in how a number of things later in the book uh, really woke him up to the persecution part and as well as uh, the conscience part as well. So, uh, again, we ask you to like these podcasts, comment, share, get them out there. Uh, More and more people, like I said, are finding out about the book. And uh, next week, I'll share with you where I'll be speaking in September in Minnesota. Uh, Some people have written to me about uh, where that is and if they can come and listen as well. And I talked to the pastor. He's excited to fill up the church with as many people are in the area that can come and speak to that uh, or come and listen to me speak about it. And so I'll share that information at the next podcast as well. So Lord's blessings, Peter, Lord's blessings to our listeners as we continue to live our vocation as Christian citizens, even if that means curbing the the government so that we can help them to serve as God's servants.